Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. Welcome to Total Reboot, the only podcast still on the internet about freaking movies. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos. I'm your host, and i am also got another host, as always, with me. Please, welcome him to the feed, which is, ironically, the show that he works on. <laughs> it is Cameron James. Uh, when you said with me, I teared up a little bit then mm-hmm. because I'm not with you. Tragically, this is the first time you and I have ever podcasted via satellite, via correspondence. We're tapped into an illegal Russian feed right now for us to be podcasting together from separate homes, from separate locations. This is so amazing, the things that you can do with technology now. I mean, first of all... I didn't even know what a freaking podcast was. I thought we were doing radio all these years. Yeah, you flipped out when I told you we were going live to air. I thought this was on Triple M, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's why you, was... you're always cracking beers and stuff in here. Yeah, I thought we had to. I've been doing ads for, like, Han Ice and stuff like that. It's really, It's been really upsetting to realize that this is strictly an online-only medium. And then... Even more upsetting to realize that we can do it from our own homes. Yeah, we don't have to hang out ever again. <laughs> I mean, geez Louise, why couldn't you have told me that earlier? Well, it, it wasn't possible until right now, okay? It wasn't possible. <laughs> uh, but we are, we are for the first time recording uh, remotely. We want to give a big thank you and a huge shout out to our dearest friends over at Sans Pants. Our podcast network, uh, Joel Zamet, set us up with a couple of microphones that we can use over the internet. So huge thank you to Sans Pants uh, for helping us out in this moment of dire need. Thank you, guys. We were desperate to keep the content coming because, I mean, I'm like a lot of you guys. I'm stuck at home at the moment. I'm working from home and I'm going freaking crazy already. So, you know, we figured the least we can do in these crazy times is to, like, keep some funny shit coming in your ears every now and then. And if it means we have to use this crazy new technology, then so be it. And so be it. And so be it. I mean, that's what's going to have to work from now. I think we're going to have to go back to Soviet style. But that's why we're on the Russian stream right now. It's an old, unused Soviet stream that is just, it's been laying dormant and finally we could tap into it to talk to each other. So exciting. So exciting. And speaking of talking to each other from other houses, we are in the middle of a, uh, well, not in the middle. We're at the very beginning Mm -hmm. 
of the brand new miniseries. And this is an idea for a miniseries that we've kicked around since thinking up the craziest idea for a podcast ever, talking about reboots, remakes, and rip-offs. This is one that was like very early on our wish list to cover, and it never seemed more appropriate than right now to dive into our Stuck Indoors Film Festival celebrating films that are Rear Window and inspired heavily by Rear Window. Uh, the most famous movie about someone being stuck indoors and trapped inside and just having to look out the window for entertainment. Yeah, I think uh, now's the time more than ever because what are you going to do when you're stuck inside during this self-isolation period? Are you going to listen to podcasts or are you going to spy on your neighbours? Well, you can technically do both. Yeah. But we recommend that you do not do the spying on neighbours thing because you might accidentally see a murder. You might see some uh, shit that you don't want to see. Some stuff that you're going to have to want to forget. And let me tell you, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones and Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson are not around to wipe your freaking memory, okay? That's the God's honest truth, okay? <laughs> They're not around. One, because that franchise tragically has failed and probably will be dormant for many, many years to come. So that's not going to happen. And also, it's freaking make-believe like the movies themselves. Yeah. Do you think that Rear Window is make-believe or do you think it's inspired by some real shit? I think it's like real life. It's inspired by some real shit, dude. I reckon that Alfred Hitchcock used to sit in a darkened room and stare out his window because he just he seems like a grubby little pervert yeah. who Who's... who wants to see in people's windows. <laughs> he loves it. He's he, only he could make this movie, and then everyone else could make it after him. Yeah, uh, only yeah, only he could make it so that Brian De Palma could make an even hornier version of it. <laughs> Man, the this miniseries we are kicking off this week with Rear Window, which is one of the all-time great classic films. It's one of Hitchcock's most highly regarded films. It's one of my favorite Hitchcock films. Uh, and then we're going to kick it on into films that are heavily inspired by it. Uh, we're going to be talking about DJ Caruso's classic Disturbia from 2007 that stars one of the great young actors of our time, Shia LaBeouf. Mm. And what else are we going to talk about? We've got an Aussie flick. Yeah, this is one that I'm so excited to bring to the podcast and hopefully introduce some people to it because it's probably one of my all-time favourite Australian films. It's a movie by a director called Richard Franklin who has a history with Alfred Hitchcock. He, of course, directed Psycho 2 that we talked about many, 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 many moons ago on this podcast. And it's a movie called Road Games, which has been, it's heavily inspired by Rear Window, but they put a little Aussie twist on it and they call it Rear View Window because it's set on a semi-trailer. And it's got a great cast. It's got Jamie Lee Curtis in it. It's got Stacey Keach in it and a bunch of crazy Australian character actors and the legendary Australian stuntman Grant Page is in the film. Um, it's a really cool movie. If you haven't seen it, it in Australia, it's pretty available right now. They've done a nice new restoration for in the last couple of years. It is also free to stream on SBS On Demand, as is Disturbia. So you can catch up with both of those as well for free if you're in Australia. 
Why why wasn't it called Rearview Window? I think it sounds shit. I think that's a shit sounding title. <laughs> <laughs> because you're like Rearview Window, it's too strange, there's too many weird words put together. But road games, you're like, holy shit. I wanna get in there and play with them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, look, we're stuck indoors, so let's dive into this stuck indoors mini series and take a little squeeze, a little peep, if you will, at Rear Window. This is the apartment of a man named Jeffries, a news photographer whose beat used to be the world. Right now, his world has shrunk down to the size of this window. He's been watching the people across the way. Nobody seems to pull their blinds during a hot spell like this. He knows a lot about them by now. Too much, perhaps. For instance, down there on the second floor, the woman pacing about. He calls her Miss Lonely Hearts. So lonely that even death seems like a friend. These are the newlyweds on a honeymoon no one will ever forget. He calls her Miss Hearing Aid. An artist of a very odd and strange art. The songwriter who plays the same melody over and over again. A genius or insane? This is the traveling salesman and his invalid wife. Out of their arguments and nagging comes a weird kind of love. Miss Torso, the body beautiful, that is, viewed from a safe distance. Those are just a few of my neighbors. First, I watched them just to kill time, but then I couldn't take my eyes off them, just as you won't be able to. And you won't be able to take your eyes off the glowing beauty of Grace Kelly, who shares the heart and curiosity of James Stewart in this story of a romance shadowed by the terror of a horrifying secret. Rear Window, 1954, The Swingin' 50s. (laughs) Directed by Alfred Hitchcock. It only takes one witness to spoil the perfect crime. Professional photographer L.B. Jeff Jeffries. Great name. Great name. Sounds like one of the most funny Australian comedians. Yeah, L.B. Jeff Jeffries. Yeah, one of my favourites. (laughs) breaks his leg while getting an action shot at an auto race. Confined to his New York apartment, he spends his time looking out of the rear window, observing the neighbours. When he begins to suspect that a man across the courtyard may have murdered his wife, Jeff enlists the help of his high society fashion consultant girlfriend and his visiting nurse to investigate. This movie stars... James Stewart as L.B. Jeff Jeffries, Grace Kelly, Thelma Ritter, and other people that I don't know. <laughs> Have you? Are you familiar with this film? Had you seen it before? I hadn't seen it in a very long time. I watched it in my university days where I think I watched... Um, I don't want to say all of the Hitchcock movies, but a, you know, a significant number of them mm. while I was studying film at uni. And I really loved this one at the time, but I think I was, I was heavily into Vertigo, yeah. And I really liked Rope 
as well. So you're you're all about that little crop of films that uh, Jimmy Stewart and Alfred Hitchcock made together. Yeah, I loved that era a lot. I think Vertigo spoke to me a lot because mm. it has that bizarre dreamlike horror element mm. to it, um, and it's got that weird Salvador Dali montage. Yeah. In the middle of it as well, so I was kind of that was kind of ticking a few like surrealist boxes for me, but but then I hadn't revisited Rear Window in that entire you know span of time that it's been since uni. But man, I got to say, I'm so glad I did for this one. I um, it's it's pretty flawless, mm. don't you think? I think it's absolutely just shot back up to the top of my favorite Hitchcock films because I think it had been mm. about. Uh, God, maybe the same amount of time, maybe at least six years since I'd watched this film. Probably 2012 was the last time I saw it. And Mm. I straight away, I just fell in love with this film again because it is, I'd say Hitchcock is, you know, he's the first person that you, that the auteurist theory really was applied to of like, what is a Hitchcockian film? What is the voice of Hitchcock? And what he's the person that makes it so clear that filmmaking is a director's medium. And I think this film is the one that really signifies that for me because yes, it has a brilliant script, but it is all about how that script is translated to the screen that makes it work so well. Yeah. So what are the, what's, what are the things that Hitchcock's known for, for kind of the uninitiated out there? Well, he's most commonly spoken about as being the master of suspense. The absolute bee's knees when it comes to creating suspense. The guy can hold your attention and make you feel squirmy and scared. And I think for the most part, because he really actually is the master of all that stuff, that we have seen uh, so many imitators or people that are like the clear descendants of that Hitchcockian style. People like who we're going to talk about in a few weeks, Richard Franklin, but also Brian De Palma, Philip Noyce. Uh, Robert Zemeckis to a degree, like lots of, oh, of course, oh my God, Steven Spielberg, one of the biggest mm-hmm. uh, people that use the su- suspense in that same Hitchcockian manner. So it's like he is one of those filmmakers that was an absolute uh, master of the craft and a master of technique. But beyond that, the other thing that applies to it is those kind of like commonalities thematically you know we've got the hitchcock blondes uh which is like his idea of the femme fatale and stuff that is constantly throughout his films and the way that he uses uh women and their relationships with men and their relationships to the camera and to the screen as well but the Mm -hmm. big one that this film really is like the pinnacle of maybe second only to psycho itself is that idea of the voyeur like Hitchcock is one of the most voyeuristic directors and this film is the epitome of voyeurism in film yeah I think uh, this is the movie that takes all the voyeuristic subtext and just flat out makes it text you know like we've had previous examples of people watching people in his movies but yeah that's all this movie is about there's not even another plot that's just what it is you're you're an audience member watching another audience member for this entire film and i think that's the amazing thing about this film is that it is such a beautiful a beautiful distillation of the idea of perspective in film we only see mm. the world through the eyes of our main character mainly and 
that is, in a way, literally staring out this window. Sure, we get glimpses into other people's lives, but it, the camera never leaves the perspective of our character, played by Jimmy Stewart here. Yeah, and what's that character's name again? His name is LB, and we don't know what those stand for. Could be anything. Could be Little Bean, which is like a shit yeah. name, but lucky his surname sounds like a first name for a little bit, so they can take Jeffrey's, turn it down to Jeff. I I wonder if it does stand for Little Bean. Because it would be so weird. Like, he'd be so embarrassed if his name stood for Little Bean. Yeah, if people like, hey, what's your name? And he's like, "Uh, just call me Jeff. And they go, so is your name Jeff? And he goes, sort of. um, Jeffries is my last name. My first two names... I'd rather not say. Well, just give me the first initial for each of them. What would you... Like, what's the first letter of those names? L and B. LB. LB, that's not a bad nickname. I don't know why people don't call you LB. Because it reminds me that my name is Little Bean, okay? What did you say your name was? Oh, never mind, never mind. Just call me Jeff. Call me Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. And beyond that idea of perspective, it's the way that it's executed by having maybe the most stunning and beautiful and exciting and intricate set ever to kind of be created and maybe the most iconic set ever in a film as well. Man, it's got to be up there. It's like, um, I, I hadn't seen this in years, like we already said, and as soon as we started this movie... I was just like, fucking hell, man. How does no one talk about the set all the time? It's it's fucking sensational. I don't know much about it. It should be the only thing people talk about is like, how crazy is it that in 1954 in Paramount Studios, they made an enormous indoor replica of Greenwich Village, okay? It's insane what they did. Do you know anything about it? I mean, all I know is that it was all soundstage hmm. and I guess it was a fictional version of Greenwich Village. It's based on a real courtyard from Greenwich Village. So it is really based on a real courtyard. Uh, and it is the set designs for this film is Hal Pereira and Joseph McMillan uh, Johnson. And they spent weeks building this huge detailed set. It is as big as it is. Um, I think that it, it like there's not too much trickery involved because it is like this big living ecosystem. They had to make it this big to kind of capture the realism of it all so one of the interesting things about it is that it has like working drainage so that way when they had like the rain scenes it could properly be irrigated and so everything could drain out and they could still use it and also they had to make this kind of unique lighting setup so the lighting would seem as naturalistic as possible and these are all things that kind of add to the realism of this film and add to the this idea that this is a real place. And um, speaking of the set, you posted a video in our Facebook group, the Cinephile Registry, which I think was like a... I don't know how they did it. It was like a... What was it? You explain it. Yeah, so it's a video from 2012, which is when I last watched the movie. I watched it because this video came out. Um, it is by, it's on Vimeo, it's on YouTube. Jeff Decim is the artist behind it. It's called Rewindow Time Lapse. I'll share it on our Twitter and our Facebook page as well. So it's this time lapse where he's been able to create a digital Photoshop rendering in After Effects of the entire the set in its widest entirety of like the biggest vista available of this in the entirety of this amazing massive set and then done a time lapse where he's created 
uh, each scene from that one wide perspective. So you see the little moments happening on the ground with the dog sniffing at the flowers. You're seeing mm. each person in their apartments. You're seeing the cars drive by uh, in that in the far far away. We're seeing through the alley and across the road. And it really gives you an idea of how truly impressive this set is and how impressive this is in a world building sense and how this film uses sound design and uh, perspective to show us and make us feel that this is a real, a real re-window view into a backyard courtyard. You should definitely post that in the show notes or something. It's really, really freaking cool. Worth a watch for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it feels real. I mean, I think one thing that really adds to that is the sound design mm. of the courtyard. You can hear, you can constantly hear little bits and pieces of people's conversations mm-hmm. or random yelling or different songs coming from different people's apartments all the time. It's kind of, um, it feels like it's a bit ahead of its time as far as like building a world through sound. I think nothing has really matched it, honestly. Like that's what shocked me watching it again was just how much of a real world this film feels like it's set in. Because, you know, Hitchcock, the other movies that we talk about so much are stuff like North by Northwest and Psycho, where the score is humongous. It's like those amazing uh, things that Bernard Herrmann can bring to it and bringing the drama. This film doesn't really have a score at all. It's got a little music at the start, a little music at the end, composed by uh, Franz Waxman, who was Hitchcock's musical collaborator before Bernard Herrmann came on board. And uh, this was the last film that they made together, I believe. And he provides a lot of the musical notes because there's a composer character in this film who you can constantly hear playing on his piano, composing music, and he provides a lot of the music for that. But otherwise, it's all diegetic sound, including those comp- mm. compositions that, that piano player is playing. You're hearing other music like Bing Crosby stuff because that was from uh, Paramount Productions. So they could just use that pretty much royalty free. And then. <laughs> yeah, this is an early example of <laughs> vertical integration. <laughs> they were just like, let's get a few plugs in for some of our other projects. There's a little earworm in here that you're going to hear a little bit of That's Amore, and you're going to want to hear more Dean Martin shit. And thankfully, we own the entire catalogue. <laughs> But like, like you were saying, you're even in scenes where you're not looking out the window and you're just sitting there in the room with Jimmy Stewart, with Grace Kelly, with Thelma Ritter. Uh, you're still hearing the music that's happening out on people's balconies. Uh, you know, Italian style, dude. There's people on balconies literally singing for you, listening to music. They're out there literally singing "That's Amore" in this movie. Maybe this is the first time it's ever been matched is that now it is happening in real life. It's so crazy, hey? Like, this is obviously very time-stamping where we are Mm. in in time right now. But that is the current big news story at the moment is that Italian people who are self-isolated are singing on their balconies, which is amazing. But then when you watch this movie, you're like, in one of those apartments, there may be a murder yeah, going Yeah, there on. could so be that's... something devious happening. Very spooky stuff. Um, tension and suspense is something that you mentioned mm. earlier as like a hallmark of the Hitchcock style. Do you find this movie to be suspenseful? Truly, I do. I think I do. I think I 
don't. And I don't know if it's because I find Jimmy Stewart to be such a calming mm. um, presence on screen or because I know the story already. But on this viewing, I the only time I really felt suspenseful or felt the intended suspense was um, when his girlfriend goes into the apartment. Yeah. I think and is creeping around. I think that's what caught. it is because you know we do have that feeling of being trapped. You're seeing this. It's like that classic Hitchcock thing where he's like, "I'm going to show you like the way that he, he himself has explained how suspense works instead of surprise." Is that I'm going to show you there's a bomb under this table, and you're going to be hearing it tick and tick and tick, and rather than it just exploding out of nowhere. Instead of creating a sense of surprise, I'm going to create a sense of suspense. I think this film delivers that in those moments so well because you're seeing what's happening. You're seeing the full story unfold. You're seeing Grace Kelly running, rummaging around through the apartment. And then you're seeing uh, Raymond Burr as Lars Thorwald coming back to the apartment because you've got that, in- that entire vista, which is what they can execute by having this ginormous set. You can see down through the street, like there's that little window going out the alleyway where you can see the entire, like just this little glimpse of the restaurant across the road, cars going past, pedestrians going past. So this entire vista uh, showing you everything out there where you can see him walking around. So you've got that sense of like that ticking time of how long you know it's going to take for him to get back to the apartment and get in and find her. And you're stuck in the perspective of Jimmy Stewart where you have no choice but to watch it unfold. Very cool. I love that sequence. I think that's that's my favourite moment in the film. And also I think it's really helped by the fact that you see so much of the apartment before that happens. Mm. So, you know, the entire layout of it almost. Yeah. It kind of like, I know, I know that, um, I know that this came way later, but, uh, do you remember when years ago we talked about the dead calm, which mm. I think is, I think it's Philip Noyce, right? Yeah. That's, that's Philip Noyce. And that's truly in the mold of like that Hitchcockian thriller as well. Yeah. But he, he obviously was ripping off Hitchcock a little bit, but he really did a great job in that film of showing mm. you the entire geography of the boat before the suspenseful scene so you know where people could possibly be hiding and whatnot. And the way that Hitchcock um, does it is incredible. Like, there's moments where you're seeing, like, reflections in windows and reflections in mirrors into other apartments, into this apartment specifically, where it's like just hinting at what the jet layout is beyond what you can see at all times. And it's like, holy crap, how can you have such like a an incredible foresight to put those elements in there and then execute them in this way to create drama and to create suspense? There's so much intricate shit in here that I'd forgotten about. When the the iconic shot that's probably the most um you know, it's like on the front cover of the mm. poster of him holding up his long lens oh. camera spying for the first time where you can see the reflections of other buildings in the lens, which obviously was like by design. Yeah. But I mean, I can't even fathom how they would have really done that. Like it must've been a little matte painting being held up yeah. in front of Jimmy Stewart or something. It's pretty crazy. And like but, whenever um, the binoculars come up as well, it's almost like they are just reflective mirrors showing you everything that's going on. It's like, it is like this film is to this day unfathomably 
well executed and so intricately put together. And like the script is great, but it is all about every aesthetic choice that makes it brilliant. If I have any criticism of Hitchcock, it's that. It's Mm. that the visual style is more precedent than the Mm. story and the acting. I think it's probably a criticism a lot of people have made in the past is that he's a technical director more so than a humanist director. Mm. He, um, I mean, he literally called his actors cattle, you know, like it's not, this is not a rich take coming from me. Like it's not someone like Cassavetes or Scorsese where there's happy accidents that happen and make the film uh, more than the sum of its parts. His films are the sum of their parts, but they're the best parts that have ever happened. Yeah, 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 that's very true. I also think like on a purely selfish level, this movie, it's just the fucking best like movie for little nosy perverts like me (laughs) like and i'm sure (laughs) i'm sure you've done the same thing but like how good is it when you can just spy on people and eavesdrop do you know how often when i'm on the train and i've got my little earbuds in that i just double tap that left one so i can pause it and just hear what's going on around me i love it i do that all the time did i ever tell you about the couple that live across the courtyard from me who were having a big fight a little while ago oh my god your new apartment is very rear window by the way it's very real. Very you can see up. everything. <laughs> and they they were having a big fight and then she started throwing stuff out of the window onto the courtyard below. Oh my god, like Tennessee Williams. <laughs> Tennessee like Williams. A movie, style. Yeah. <laughs> like a Tennessee There's a guy Williams yelling play. Stella from the ground floor. Yeah, it was like so dramatic. And then I went down later and I saw like bits and pieces of what she'd been throwing out. And it was freaking porno DVDs. (laughs) Like she'd found porno DVDs. Oh my God. And was throwing them out the like window onto the ground. Like how dare you. Dude, it breaks my my heart to hear physical media be treated that way. But at least it's a funny story (laughs) that we can all laugh at. Okay. (laughs) I just wanted to go up later and be like, have you not heard of a freaking thumb drive, dude? (laughs) She can't see what's on the cover if it's a thumb drive, dude. You can download them at work, maybe. I don't know what your setup is there. Download them at work, put them on a thumb drive, put it in and thumb one out, brother. <laughs> Man, you just reminded me of a story. When I was on uh, like a school camp, it was a very small school camp for like, I think people involved in like student council in like year 10. And so it was mm. a couple of you, like probably five or six year 10 students and then nine, eight, seven. And um, there was like these cabins that were elevated and underneath one of the cabins, there was like, we looked underneath it and there was like this little shining reflective thing. And I was like, that's a DVD. I knew it immediately. That's a DVD underneath there. I was like, that's not a CD. That's a DVD. <laughs> and of course, I brought my little DVD player, my portable one. That's a screen with a little DVD in there. We got to send... Wait, you had a little portable player? Yeah, I had a little portable DVD player. It was before I had a laptop. Oh, of course. Well, dude, that's, that is... that's not a surprise for you to find out that I had a portable DVD player at the age of 16. Oh my god! <laughs> but uh, we sent one of the younger students underneath the lodge to go find it, 
and they picked up the disc and they started screaming with laughter. I'm like, what? what's going on? So he helped them out. We pull them out. And then they show us the other side beneath the reflective surface. And the picture and title of the movie was The Gay Team. And it was just a picture of a guy getting his knob sucked off. <laughs> Oh my god! And we just all burst out laughing. The teachers are around us as well, so it wasn't just like kids mucking around. This was like the activity that every single person here was doing, and we were all invested in. <laughs> and so, to this day, one of the most surreal moments of my life, where the precision of timing was Hitchcockian of that young man just flipping the disc over, and us seeing that at that time, for most of those kids, probably the most adult image they've ever seen. <laughs> so I assume you didn't pop it in the portable player uh, Brother, you'd never assume anything <laughs> I think it's a perfect time for us to get into a little break Hey guys, just pausing for a quick second to tell you about Generation Batuta The new podcast brought to you by the Batuta Advocate That you can listen to now on Spotify. But before you do that, let's give you a little taste of what it will sound like when you do listen to it on Spotify. Great stuff. G'day listeners, Louis Burke here with Generation Batuta, the stories that matter to you and the other five members of your share house. Open your ears and blow your minds as our weekly youth program brings you stories about pill testing, climate change and a cheeky story about sex to make sure you listen until the end. Our crack production team includes social justice reporter Katrina Sakamoto, who has brought you stories such as... Meet the bodybuilders who are challenging toxic masculinity by lifting heavy floral arrangements. And youth gonzo journalist Ever97, who goes deep to bring you stories like... Have you ever pretended to like some cool music just to fit in? Turns out, ants do it too. And I, back in the studio, will be reading your messages, speaking to the people you want to hear from, and the occasional conservative backbencher in the interest of fairness. I am, you are, we are, Generation Batuta. Generation Batuta. Tune in now on Desert Rock FM, or if you don't live in Batuta, listen free, only on Spotify. Okay, full disclosure from behind the scenes, we didn't actually listen to the 30 seconds you just heard then, but I have heard it before, and uh, I remember it being very funny. It's very funny for one particular reason, okay, and why you would think it funny, Cameron. What's I'm that? I'm going to tell you right now, uh, it's because you're conceited and you're in it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit, dude! Yes. You're really spilling the tea. Today. I'm using that ad break to accuse your personality of being defunct, dude. I don't. I am in it. Yes, full disclosure. But I don't think I'm the funniest thing in it. You told me that you're the star, and this is going to break you to the next level of comedy stardom. Yeah, you I said, said that privately. I said <laughs> I was going to maybe start my own frat pack after this. Yeah. But you inviting me? You said I'm pre already ordaining you as part of my frat pack. You're going to be let in there. You're going to be. You're going to skip the associate <laughs> process. You're going to be straight into the top. That's that is 100 percent what I said. Mm. Um, and it was a pleasure to be part of Batuta for a little bit. The podcast is so funny. Mm-hmm. Listen to it on Spotify. It's a fake news show, fake journalism. It's just. It's got a lot of comedy people doing funny voices in it. You're just going to love it. You're going to absolutely love it. We love it already. Give it a listen. Thanks so much, baby. I think the idea of that voyeurism and perving 
perving out your window, if you will, is <laughs> maybe my favorite thing about this movie. And I think that it's the best argument for Hitchcock maybe actually being a human director and not just a technician because the way how beautifully we kind of get these glimpses and vignettes, like these full little side stories, like these little short films almost of the what Jimmy Stewart's neighbors' lives are. Like I think they're they're kind of everything. Like there's some that are funny, there's some that are comedies, there's some that are like extremely tragic and sad and emotional, and there's some that are just perving. Like the first one you see is a woman that kind of initiates this whole idea of him being a voyeur is a woman that is this beautiful young dancer that is, he calls the torso because he's like, maybe the, it's maybe the most risque thing that had been captured on film up into that point. Like the first time you see her, one of the first shots of the film is for him looking out the window and seeing her put on a bra from behind and you get probably cinema's first side boob. <laughs> like it's so risque. Yeah, it is very risque. And I also love that his nurse seems to know that he's like whacking off over this <laughs> lady across the hall. And he's, he's, he's just trying to keep it a secret from his, his possible fiance. Yeah, but his nurse knows. She's like, oh, you're always distracted by that dancing broad over there. Whoa, no, like, I'm well, not. No, I swear. I wasn't whacking off. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, that's one of the stories. And it's interesting because we're getting a glimpse into her life. But the one that is, the one that's really beautiful and, like, so beyond what Hitchcock is known for is that we get this amazing short silent film of this woman that he refers to as Miss Lonely Hearts played by Judith Evelyn as actress and it is a glimpse at a woman that is probably just past uh, just past her prime in an era where you know being single and being older where it is kind of seen as like this stigma in a way. And the way that it's executed as this being like this short and slow and silent short film of her, you know, we're seeing her that she has problems with drinking, problems with loneliness, problems with uh, alcoholism. And her. there's a moment where we're seeing her get made up and dressed up to go on a date. And there's this moment that is now my favorite part of the film that I'd never noticed before where she's applying her lipstick and you're seeing her from like this distance applying her lipstick where she's completely alone, completely by herself. And then she places her glasses on to check her lipstick, retouches it up a little bit more and then takes her glasses off. And such a small human moment where you're truly just with this character in their own space where they're completely alone and free. And then she goes out and you can see her walk to the bar across the street and she just starts having a drink at the bar and it's not really a date. Yeah. And you're seeing her kind of get used. It's really magnificent. And the way that her story ends up becoming part of the climax where she kind of reaches the lowest point of her depression, it's really like I think the most human Hitchcock really ever gets. You know, I, I agree with you, but I think that the um, the only reason he did dwell on her story a little bit is because she's part of the mechanics of the climax. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's a fair point, I think. 
Yeah, like it's. I love it. I think it's so fun and so beautiful, and I love getting to watch it. And and you're right. It's basically a silent short film. But then, yeah, once she got involved indirectly in the ending, that was when I started. Went oh, okay. I see. Mm. He was just putting the chessboard together for us mm. so that we'd all we wouldn't see the um the rook make its move for the queen <laughs> sort of thing, <laughs> you know. Like and it's it's well done. It's really well put together. I still think to this day, like this is nineteen fifty four. Mm. Um, there's better plot mechanics and technicality here than than most contemporary mystery box filmmakers. Mm, absolutely, or, um, and especially to make it human in this way, to add emotion. It's not just this yeah. one. There's funny ones as well where we're seeing a guy, a newlywed couple who, are, who start off so happy and then you just see the guy coming to the window for moments of peace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something I can't relate to, by the way. Yeah, not at all. I've never gone to a window for a moment of peace. Go- Only for a moment of curving. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about our stars because you've got yeah. two of the biggest movie stars of all time in this film. Yeah, you got two icons, two of the biggest icons, and two Hitchcock regulars. Uh, you've got James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart, me, Jimmy Stewart. That's a really good. Yeah, impression. me, Jimmy Stewart. I love you, Alfred Hitchcock. Thanks for putting me in your movies. <laughs> <laughs> that famous quote of his. He's so thankful to everyone. <laughs> I love you, Alfred Hitchcock. Thank you for putting me in your movies. Thanks for putting me in your pictures, Alfie. Or Hitch. Maybe I'll call you Hitch. (laughs) Do you reckon he went by Hitch? Yeah, he did. I think he went by Cock, dude. (laughs) 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 But I think Jimmy Stewart is so well utilized in this film. Because it's weird to say now because you... Like... I think before he started with Alfred Hitchcock, Jimmy Stewart had like a really varied career where he'd played like, he wasn't exactly typecast. Like he wasn't not typecast, but the way that we see Jimmy Stewart now is as the American everyman, this idea of honor, this idea of someone who's like sticks to their scruples, but maybe can have a little bit of fun as well. And that fun is probably whacking off beneath that cast as he looks at beautiful women changing their clothes. But before he did uh, Hitchcock films, he was in stuff like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, The Philadelphia Story, which he won an Oscar for. And that's like a pretty broad, silly, like a fun romantic comedy, uh, a screwball film. And then, of course, Harvey, which is like... You know, mm-hmm. Donnie Darko from the 1950s about a man <laughs> who's got an imaginary rabbit friend. Yeah. Oh, and it's a wonderful life as oh well. Oh, my That's, God, of um, course. Frank Capra. Yeah. And it's not until stuff like Rope, stuff like this, uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much, the other film yeah, that he did Vertigo. with Hitchcock and Vertigo, and then later on, Anatomy of a Murder at the end of the 50s. Uh, where he becomes like what the idea of he who he is of like that all American guy that uh, is that you can just relate to that you can be with and is susceptible to all these other things as well. I'm just reading about him now on Wikipedia. Did you know that he was um he was called the Great American Bachelor really? in the 40s? You couldn't yeah, tie him down. He was, couldn't tie him down. He got around. Wow. You know? 
Yeah. Can you picture that? Yeah, I can picture me walking around asking ladies, birds for their number. <laughs> yeah, excuse me, miss. What was your pickup line, Jimmy? Oh, my pickup line would be, uh, yeah, I'm Jimmy Stewart. Thank you for putting me in your movie and your booby. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> But I would say that, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, but that's what he was. The guy was the great American bachelor. He was creepy. He was a perv. <laughs> but I would say that Grace Kelly, there's a moment in this film where I think truly might be the best movie star moment ever in a Hitchcock film. I'd put it up there with like, uh, you know, the seven year itch with Marilyn Monroe's dress flying up as far as mm-hmm. m- like movie star moments go, or the I'll be back from... <laughs> Who's that? That's a, a little guy <laughs> called Arnie, okay? His name's Arnie. Oh, yeah. okay. I'll be back. Right. thought it was Tim Allen. <laughs> uh-huh? I put it up there with... Uh-huh? <laughs> as far as movie star <laughs> moments go. But it's that first yeah. time you get a glimpse of Grace Kelly where you've kind of, you're getting an idea of who she is. You're getting an idea of what Jimmy Stewart does in this film where he's like this photographer. You're seeing all these amazing action shots that he's been getting of like explosions and these cars blowing up. But then you slowly start to see the other side of his photography that isn't journalistic. It's like him photographing these beautiful models for like fashion magazines and stuff. And you're seeing the negatives of all these beautiful women. And you get the idea that his girlfriend is someone that is this incredible socialite and they don't live together yet, but it's getting to be a serious relationship. But she is someone with much grace and much class. And there's a moment where you first see her and it begins as a shot on Jimmy Stewart falling asleep in his chair. And then the shadow slow starts creeping over him. And then it's a cutback and you so- see Grace Kelly's face come out of the shadow. And she, like, she is absolutely radiant. And the way that Technicolor captures her, where you, her hair is so perfectly blonde, her eyes are so deeply blue, and the way they kind of come out of that shadow for just that three-second shot of her and then cutting back to him, it is like the greatest movie star entrance that is just like without a line, without anything. It's just a moment of her creeping out of the shadow and it is stunning. It's definitely, as far as movie star entrances go, it's up there for me with Jack Black's entrance in um, <laughs> High Fidelity. When he bursts into the place going, <laughs> Dude, this is up there with Shrek taking a shit and swinging the door of that outhouse open and saying, What a lot of crap. It is up there with those so entrances. She's amazing in this. I don't really know her from much else other than Hitchcock movies. Mm. Uh, I know she's like a you know a screen icon, but again, I'm looking her up on Wikipedia. See what I get up to when I'm left to my own devices. Yeah. Um, I never go on Wikipedia when I'm in Blu-ray studio. And now you're but, like uh, looking it up. You're looking at you're looking at all the text about her entire life before. I can't believe I've never heard of this website before. It's amazing. It's a phenomenal resource. And I highly recommend donating four bucks to them. Okay. She was the princess of Monaco. You didn't know that. that. Are you serious? She retired from acting two years after this movie. Yeah. To, to when she was 26 to just be a princess. Isn't it insane that she's like 25 years old in this movie? 
It's crazy. Because it is such like this incredibly poised performance. And it's not doing anything special emotionally. It's just living in like this kind of performative subtlety that is phenomenal. And before this, like her her breakout film was High Noon, the Mm. Western. And then we've got Dial M for Murder, then Rear Window. And the last film that she made with Hitchcock is To Catch a Thief. And I would say this film, To Catch a Thief, where she plays against Cary Grant, Hitchcock's other regular male lead, uh, both of those films are costumed by Edith Head, who did most of Hitchcock's films, did like his all his Paramount run of films at least. And th- between this film and that film... I watched them with a freaking ASOS window open trying to find like the costumes and like versions of them because they are insane. Especially to catch a thief, the way that Cary Grant is dressed in that film, my God, like it, he looks incredible in every shot. But the stuff that she wears here is like it's the way that she comes in, the way that her character's set up as being like this socialite just gives her like this excuse to come in after she's been to these big events and wear gowns in an apartment, like these incredible gowns and these like amazing, like cutting edge clothes. But the best moment is where she has this tiny suitcase. That's this sort of way bag. And when it pops open and there is this overflowing, like, pink nightgown and these pink slippers and like this pink kind of like flowing gown negligee it's like the most kind of like soft but exciting bit of like sexuality that feels like it's way beyond its years as well but also so trapped in its time because like they keep on saying that they don't spend the night together but like jimmy stewart has to be like 48 years old (laughs) Dating this 25 year old woman. Do you think Jimmy Stewart is a virgin until this night? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is the original 40 year old virgin. (laughs) He hasn't. That's so bizarre. Yeah, you're right. There's the bit where she kind of flaunts her negligee Mm. at him and she says, like, this is a preview of coming attractions or whatever the fuck. And then the movie ends very sweetly by showing that she did stay the night. But it makes a big point of showing that her shoes are still on. Yeah. So you know that nothing happened. And there's a big part about this movie where it's like, don't tell my landlord that I have women over. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's so weird. Honestly, guys, if you can keep it sick for me, please don't tell my landlord that I jerk off in my apartment. Please. That was on the lease <laughs> saying no jerking off in this apartment. But I will be honest, I have done it upwards of three times. Holy hell. This self-isolation is... Turning you into a monster. Yeah. Turning you into a regular great American bachelor. <laughs> but it's like, I think this is, I think that she is the highlight of this movie. As good as Jimmy Stewart is, I think her role in this is kind of what makes this film iconic. What makes it feel real and what makes it feel unique to Hitchcock's other films. Because I think that... You know, the way that he uses actresses is quite famous and, you know, it fucking sucks. Like, you, no one would stand by it today. No no, no commentator worth their freaking weight in salt, which is going to be a rare commodity I can foresee in the next few months, <laughs> uh, would, like, stand by the way Hitchcock has used actors and especially women. But I think that the way that Grace Kelly is kind of captured... And in performs, it is with more humanity than his other stars are. Yeah, I don't know what the behind the scenes story is on this one, but uh, 
Has she ever said anything about his bullshit? I don't think publicly? she ever has. From what I can gather and from my memory, I haven't looked this up recently, but um, she was his favorite and she he took it very hard when she retired from acting just a few years after this because he was like, she's my muse, I want her in everything. And then after that, you're seeing more other stars that he's using, like Tippi Hedren, Janet Leigh, and stuff like that, where I think that... I think he took it very personally when she left films. Right, right, right. Well, you know, Hitch or Cock, as you <clears throat> might prefer to be known, you can't control people. Exactly. You're not directing their lives, mm-hmm. Okay. Some people need to fuck off and be a princess for about 30 years. Exactly. So, Hitch, you fat shit, you can fuck off, mate. You're cancelled. <laughs> Hitchcock's officially cancelled. We've done <laughs> we've it. We've finally done it. As much as we've praised him to no end on this episode, we've done it. Did you know that there was a um, made-for-TV remake from 1998? I did know this. I've never seen it, but it has always fascinated me. Uh, we're not the cast is the insane. cast is truly insane and inspired. Uh, who takes on the role of LB Little Bean Jeff Jeffries in this film? <laughs> well, the one, the only Christopher Reeve, mm. the former Superman himself, playing a character near and dear to him. Basically, I mean, they kind of actually updated it from he's a man who broke his leg mm. to. He's a he's a man who's he uh, he has a breathing tube in it and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, this is like Christopher Reeves. Uh, I guess he's only really known in popular culture, like big performance that he does after his accident where he broke his spine. Uh, I believe falling off a horse, and I yeah. think that he, from what I understand and reading about the film. The reception, the film was not well received, but it's the update of like him kind of having this high tech care around him and stuff. But having the actual Christopher Reeve using his actual wheelchair, using his actual new disability uh, is what makes the film work at all. Because Christopher Reeve is an incredibly underrated actor. I think he is great. He's amazing as Superman. He's great in this movie called Street Smart with uh, Morgan Freeman. Uh, And I think that, I would be curious to watch it now after talking about this film again, just to see how that's used to kind of actually bring that element of fear by being put into his actual real perspective. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it. I'm sure it's not fantastic because it's a made-for-TV movie you know, from 1998. It's a made-for-TV <laughs> movie, but you know, it's got Christopher Reeve. Obviously, Daryl Hannah oh. is uh, taking on the kind of Grace Kelly. Uh, call me when it's Daryl Summers, dude. <laughs> and Robert Foster is oh, the detective. In no it. way. And I, I fucking love Robert Foster. He's one of your guys. One of my guys. So that would be, it would be kind of interesting to watch. But, you know, I'm looking at the other films that this filmmaker has made. And, and he's made 25 films and I have never heard of one. Cameron, of let me tell you, he's made zero films. They're all TV shows and TV movies. <laughs> But he is like a celebrated <laughs> theatre actor. Uh, what's his name? Jeff Blechner. Jeff Blechner, one of the most easiest names to pronounce. 
he's a celebrated theatre director and had a success as a TV director. But the guy did not make film, okay? Okay, the guy made movies for TV. Yeah, movies for TV, which are not technically films, okay? That's why we're not covering Actually, it. Actually, I just realised I have seen one of them. I've seen The Beach Boys and American Family. Whoa. A miniseries from the year 2000. Whoa. Yeah. Is it good? I've seen that, so... No, it sucks ass. <laughs> it sucks absolute ass, dude. <laughs> so, sorry, Jeff Blackner, but I, I probably won't check out your flick. But I think that this film's impact is humongous, and it's apparent because it is such a unique film. Like, we talked about how it's like this giant set. We talked about how it uses the idea of perspective. It's like kind of like this isolation of all of Hitchcock's themes into one thing and in a way that is truly unique. Uh, There's not other films like this up until this film. And then after this film comes out, this is the one that we slowly see have as big of an impact as Psycho. You know, this is the one that Brian La Palma basically remakes with uh, Body Double, which if you've never seen, is an insane film. It's Mm. as pervy as De Palma can get. He's He's basically perving on a porn star from his LA apartment. And then there is a scene in the movie that is just a full-length music video to the song Relaxed by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Where it's filmed on the porno set that the guy has now, like, become an extra in. And it's literally a three to four minute music video of that song. Good lord. So it is insane. It's worth checking out. Uh, we're not going to cover it on this one because there's other <laughs> weirder and stranger remakes that we want to cover instead. What are those, Cameron? Well, we're going to be talking about Disturbia, which is, uh, I think, 2008. Mm-hmm. And that's a uh, Shia LaBeouf film uh, by DJ Caruso, who you may know for directing the film Triple X3, The Return of Xander Cage. Which is one of the great, great, great movies. Yeah, one of the top flicks ever released in the 20th or 21st century. Yeah, I think he also kind of became like Shire's auteur at the time. Yeah, he made Eagle Eye. Eagle Eye as well, which is like one of the best films ever made. (laughs) (laughs) Has there ever been a film more forgotten than Eagle Eye? Oh, God. I mean, yeah, Disturbia, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen Disturbia? I'd never seen it before, never seen it. But um, I'm going through a bit of a Shire mm. renaissance at the moment. I just saw the movie Honey Boy, which he wrote and stars in, mm. and I loved it so much. It, I yeah. found it to be supremely unique and beautiful. And now I'm I'm prepared to go back through the Shia LaBeouf catalogue yes. and revisit some of these flicks that I never gave a chance. And this was like a high school movie for me that I never saw, but it was like coming on DVD when I was working at video stores. So I'm like, oh, I got to finally go in on Disturbia. Oh, this movie is absolutely a DVD. Yeah, it's exclusively a DVD. You got to go to your library and rent the DVD for this one. And so from what I gather, it's like a teen, it's a teen version of Rear Window. So it's kind of taken a, a merge between Rear Window and like the teen slasher genre or something. I know anyway. that he doesn't break his leg or anything. There's another reason why he's trapped inside. 
much mm. like we are right now. Uh, we are trapped inside. This is the Stuck Inside miniseries that we will be continuing over the next couple of weeks, closing it out with one of my all-time favorite Australian films called Road Games, directed by Richard Franklin, who is, along with Brian De Palma, one of the big Alfred Hitchcock students. And definitely this one is worth tracking down, especially if you're Australian, especially if you're not Australian as well. This is a good insight into like the higher end of that 1980s uh, Australian exploitation movement. And it is such an interesting, fun reimagining of what Rear Window is by setting it on a semi-trailer going through the Australian outback. I've never seen this one either. I'm so excited for you to get into it. It's got Stacey Keach, who has to be one of our favourite character actors, <laughs> as the lead. You've got Jamie Lee Curtis, who's one of our favourite stars. And you've got the iconic Australian stuntman who did the Mad Max films, uh, Grant Page, who I cannot wait to talk about. Yeah, yeah. That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Um, He's someone got... that himself is very key to you and I becoming friends and eventually yeah. starting doing podcasts to each- with each other. So we can't wait to get into that. Very much so. We've also got some very cool Patreon episodes coming out mm. throughout this mini series. So if you are a subscriber, you are welcome to listen to those anytime you like. If you're not a subscriber, you are not welcome to listen to those until you subscribe. And you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash total reboot. We would have just dropped an episode all about megastars. Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, who are currently in Australia for the foreseeable future. So not only are they Greek citizens, they seem to become Australian citizens as well. <laughs> uh, but that's a really fun episode where we kind of look at their, some of the great films that they've been in, some of the funnier performances that they've done. Uh, but we basically pick actors and choose a couple of performances that we love by them and are fun to talk about. And uh, you would have just got a taste of our Tom Cruise one that's just come out as well. Yeah, I recommend... Look, if I wasn't on the podcast, I would subscribe to it. I Mm. really like it. It's a a crazy time at the moment with Mm. all these self-isolation and the uh, coronavirus pandemic, the fear out there. A lot of us are being kept inside or working from home at the moment. And I know Alexi and I are unable to perform live at the Mm -hmm. moment, which is very difficult for us. And it's been hard financially. So if you'd like to help us out, subscribe to the Patreon and we'll we'll make you guys freaking laugh, okay? Yeah, that also gives you access to a great community on Facebook where we're having constant conversations about movies. And it's been a great way for us to kind of come together while we're all spread out apart as well. So uh, you're more than welcome to join that community if you subscribe to the Patreon. (laughs) Uh, But also, I want to give a shout-out as well, because around the world, there's so many cinemas that are kind of closing down. It's hard to get out there right now. And maybe you're scared. Maybe you're a stay-at-home cinephile right now. If you're in Australia on March 27th, uh, our friends over at Static Vision and Prototype, which are these really cool initiatives in bringing like interesting and fun films to the big screen here and to an online audience. Uh, Static Vision is presenting a lockdown, an interactive live stream. It's like a six-hour film festival that's going to be happening on March the 27th. It's a Friday night here in Australia from 6 p.m. all the way to midnight. I'll have a link to the Facebook event in the show notes. 
but I'm going to be there watching stuff and it's going to be a fun interactive experience. So if you're missing that feeling of going out and seeing a movie together, it's going to be maybe your best substitute along with following us on this mini series, this little, our own little stuck indoors film festival. That sounds like a lot of fun. Wait, did you say that was from six to midnight? Yeah, it's going to be from six to midnight. It's going to be yeah. six hours. Do you know what, um, do you know that's what I call getting a boner? Jesus. Going from from six to midnight. So you already start with your penny at a right angle, but when enough blood flows through you, that would initiate the idea of arousal, eroticism, and excitement. Your penny mm-hmm. flops all the way to be perpendicular with your body. Yeah, parallel yeah. with it rather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, just something I thought would be fun for the uh, listeners to hear. At the to end finally of find out that your penis is, per- is perpendicular and at times parallel to your body at all times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Hey, before we go, I just mm-hmm. want to say um, for all the people who bought tickets to see Becky and I at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and the Sydney Comedy Festival... I'm sorry about the cancellation. Obviously, we had nothing to do with that, but we we do feel really bad and we're very grateful. I've been getting a few messages from you guys. So Mm. hopefully your refunds come through very soon and hopefully we can start touring again in the second half of the year. We're thinking of doing a a little tour, just the two of us. So um, keep an eye out for that. And for everyone who did come in Brisbane, thank you so much. We love you guys. You guys are freaks. And that's all I want to say about that. And I think it's beautiful. But yeah, everyone look out for each other. It's a really uncertain time right now. We're all freaking out. Uh, If you could help us as well, that'd be amazing. If you could help share out this podcast, if you think people are going to like it, if you think people are going to be interested in this little mini series and coming on board with us, share it out. Give us five stars on iTunes. It's going to help us now more than ever, bringing more people to this podcast. Help keep this ship afloat. And by this ship... I mean, Cameron and I, because we will be going insane in isolation from each other. Uh, But it means the world to us that you guys uh, enjoy this show and get something out of it and support us. So thank you so much, guys. And a big thank you once again to Sans Pants uh, for helping us get these mics together. And, of course, a big thank you to all our sponsors, including Generation Batuta, which you guys should check out because you've got more time to listen to podcasts than ever before. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you later. 